The Daily Rios Digest, Volume 2, Sunday, August 21st, 2022. Rios, come in. Are you there? Rios, you read me. Rios! Hey everybody, this is your host Peter with the 7th Digest of this second volume covering Monday, August 15th through Friday, August 19th, 2022. Marvel Saga Monday, Part 4, taking a look at the 1985 series entitled Marvel Saga, the official history of the Marvel Universe. This segment is going to cover issue number four. This is my chance to read the Marvel Saga and to read Marvel history as it was Uh, leading up to 1985, and to find out what I've learned, to make some connections uh, for stories that happened after 1985, to learn about some untold tales that might have gone on when you look at the larger Marvel tapestry. And this issue, according to the cover, is the X-Men Origins issue, Professor X, Magneto, and Cyclops, plus the origin of Thor, plus Fantastic Four, Doctor Doom, Submariner, and more. The cover was designed by Ron Friends, but the artwork was provided by Jackson Geis and Al Milgram. I've been enjoying what I've learned in previous issues and trying to make some, you know, uh, speculations on things. Uh, This particular issue was fairly straightforward. It used the Marvel Saga concept very well, you know, especially for, say, like Professor X retelling his origin with comics and issues from the 60s and from later runs, like during the Byrne and Claremont run, and mixing it all together and giving it uh, a nice sort of chronological layout from uh, his, from, from a young, being a young kid, to when he meets Cyclops. So uh, this is a really, this issue is a really good example of what makes this series fun. Um, I can't say I learned a lot of new things and I didn't necessarily come away with, uh, ooh, this is a cool tidbit, you know, that could connect to this and this, but it still was an enjoyable issue. And the material in this issue is being pulled from X-Men issue number 12, 20, 38 through 42, 117, 144, and 161. From Fantastic Four issue number 6, from Journey into Mystery 83 and 84, from Thor 159 and Annual 11, Tales to Astonish 35, just one panel from Bizarre Adventures 27, and from the official handbook of the Marvel Universe, Volume Six, uh, Volume One, Issue Six, and Issue Number Ten. Like we've seen in previous issues, it does open with new artwork on the splash page by Tom Morgan, where we see FBI agent Fred Duncan watching a video reel of a newly emerged young mutant that will be known as Cyclops. So let's dig in. The first three pages continues that story, and they, uh, the FBI, Fred Duncan, and his assistant, they are investigating the appearance of Scott Summers, 
giving evidence for the first time that mutants exist in the larger Marvel Universe. And the language is especially of note here. It says, it's not just that they have powers, because there are others that are given powers through transformations or artificial means. It is, it is that the public fears that genetically different mutants are a new super race that will displace ordinary humanity. And I thought, ooh, there you go, replacement theory much? And that narration is from the saga, not from the panels that were pulled. Uh, we see Professor Xavier, who, you know, this is a connection to the end of last issue. He wants to be the point person to finding these mutants and is given info from Duncan as long as Xavier reports back in with the FBI. And it all felt very much like X-Men First Class, the movie. Uh, which I don't believe they actually use the Fred Duncan name for Oliver Platt in that movie, but it's essentially the same thing. So I also like how the saga is using this meeting between Professor X and the FBI, as told in 1967, as a framing sequence to go back and look at Xavier's origin from all of those different comics and all of those different places that I mentioned earlier. So ish, uh, pages 4 through 13 is the Professor X origin story. We go, uh, as of 1985, I should say, uh, we pull stories from 1965, 1966, 1979, 1982. Charles and Magnus meet for the first time. I have to imagine all of this is still canon uh, for the most part. Um Looking back over the origin, we learn that his real dad, named Brian, died accidentally, in quotes, at Alamogordo during an atomic bomb test, which means that would put him on the Manhattan Project, I believe. Uh, this sequence is from X-Men issue 12 from 1965. So for Charles to be a kid going back to 1945 or before 1945 kind of makes sense. And you could even make the case that Charles's dad was involved in this project, the Trinity nuclear test, other future tests, and maybe all of that is accidentally responsible for actually kickstarting the new mutant age around the United States by putting all of that radiation in the air, right? Helping to trigger latent X genes I mean, there is a reason they're called the children of the atom, right? And uh, I feel like that was one of the premises behind why people fear mutants anyway. So I don't know if there were any stories that explored that aspect of Charles's real dad from that angle, but I think that could be uh, an interesting way to connect some larger real-world events. And then we get to Kurt Marco, his new stepdad, Kane Marco, his new stepbrother, who will become Juggernaut. All of that is very well covered territory. His romance with Moira, his Charles's time in the military. The saga doesn't quite mention Korea because you got to keep that Marvel time timeline uh, sliding timeline going. But um, the original story where it's pulled from, does mention Korea. Uh, 
It just says Asia for the saga, although years later all of this will get wrapped up into a fictional country known as Sian Kong. Uh, I wrote here, there could be an untold tale. Did Did Xavier ever bump into Captain America or Nick Fury? Uh, you know, again, I'm talking in 1985 terms. If he was in the, was in the military, who did he bump up against? Um, we get to see when Charles and Kane, they were both in the military together. They find the temple of Sidorak and the dialogue is oddly familiar, right? It says, whosoever touches this gem shall possess the power of the crimson bands of Sidorak. Henceforth, Uh, Henceforth, you who read these words shall become forevermore a human juggernaut, which is verbiage that is just like Thor, which we'll find out later on in this issue. Then we jump ahead to some Burn and Claremont issues where Xavier meets a young Storm, he meets the future Shadow King, he meets Magnus, Magneto, uh, Gabrielle Holler, and eventually Baron Von Strucker, on his quest to build Hydra, although I thought Hydra was active during World War II, so I don't know if this is, uh, you know, the saga. I don't know what this is. You know, I I don't know if I'm remembering that from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, Was Hydra around during World War II in the comics? Is this just the Marvel saga trying to reconcile some discrepancies? I don't know. Uh, But I did take note, it was interesting how Marvel was trying so hard to divorce Hydra from Nazis, and yet they call Strucker a Nazi war criminal. And at the end of this adventure, Magnus takes all of this Nazi gold, which I thought was a little unpleasant, but, you know, it's all there. We get the accident that would cripple Xavier for life when he goes up against Lucifer, who is in a color scheme that reminds me of Magneto. And... Even though I haven't read those issues, but I've heard about them often enough, uh, and he turns out to be an alien and all this other stuff, I was like, did they try to make it seem like he was Magneto? There's a line that he has where it says, it is ever the strong who are meant to rule, and we are the strong. Almost alluding that there's some kind of like connection between Lucifer and Xavier, and Xavier is even like, wait a minute, you know, what does he mean by that? So, I don't know. Uh, Xavier was injured while he was in Tibet. That is another location that is used with other Marvel characters, so there could be some untold stories there. Then we go through pages 13 through 17. This is Xavier building his X-Men with Jean, meeting Scott and the Living Diamond. For some reason, those early stories called Cerebro another name. Uh, uh, It was called Cyberno which I don't think I knew, um, or at least it wasn't a fact that was like secure in my brain. And Xavier and Scott, you know, that's like, that's a defining moment when they meet because Scott will be the nucleus of a new group, as it says, even though Professor X was already working with Gene. Uh, Charles gives Scott a previously designed costume, which I didn't get that reference. Previously designed for what? I mean, was there a class before the first class? I know that they try to insert that class that was between the original X-Men and Giant Size, but 
what I, I don't understand that reference. So uh, I'll have to do more research on that. Or if you know, let me know. Or maybe he designed it for Gene. I don't know. Uh, but ultimately, we get Cyclops and we get the birth of Xavier's general, uh, which is, you know, Cyclops. And it says here, the first of his extra-powered mutant allies, the X-Men. Pages 18 through 25, we go to the origin story of Thor, finding the cane, becoming Thor. Uh, although I think in this early stage, he doesn't quite know that he is Thor or something like that. It's like some Captain... Captain Marvel kind of thing. Um, we can see here the inscription on the hammer matching uh, the ruby of Sidorak. Uh, we get to see Thor as a kid and Loki. Odin was definitely no better than Zeus when it came to having babies with other women. At least as of 1983, Mjolnir was forged by two brother dwarves named Brock and Aitri. And that would be the same E-Tree played by Peter Dinklage in Avengers Infinity War. Uh, page 24, we see Thor going through all of his various powers. And it made me wonder, does he even do any of that handle stomping anymore like he used to? You know, I mean, that's such a comic book thing. And I don't think he really does much of that anymore. Pages 25 through 27 is Hank Pym becoming Ant-Man for the first time. He finally gets a costume. And it took me this long to notice that the black, the black portion of Ant-Man's costume, it's forming an ant on his chest. And I don't think I ever really noticed that until I read this particular issue. And I love it how at this point, he's just basically pouring his formula on his costume and on his body. Uh, we return briefly to Thor and Don Blake. Another untold story here. If he's one of the world's greatest surgeons and practicing in New York, then he should probably know Stephen Strange before both of them became superheroes. And then the issue ends with the Fantastic Four, uh, Namor and Doctor Doom meeting for the first time, uh, Sue coming to the defense of Namor and holding off her teammates. And I don't know, when I read these little few panels, I'm like, yeah... She's really got the hots for him straight up, and I have to side with her teammates that, uh, you know, it's all it's all very kind of sketchy on her part. And then we get the first of many attacks on the Baxter building, which is where this issue leaves off for the cliffhanger. So that's it. Uh, that was it for Marvel Saga issue number four. I am going every other digest to take a look at Marvel Saga, so I will return with Marvel Saga number five. Trivia Tuesday. October of 1982 will mark my 40th anniversary of comic book collecting. Not just reading, because I had already been reading comics prior to that, but actually collecting, meaning the first comics I have or had in my collection that were purchased on my own accord. And I've talked about those comics before, and I may just do something in the future to mark the occasion as well. But here on this Trivia Tuesday, in honor of that approaching 40th anniversary of comic book collecting, I give you trivia based on comics that were released 40 years ago 
in August of 1982. Six questions from six major titles or issues. And it turns out, oddly enough, to be some kind of a a little bit of a Timeline Tuesday slash comic history slash trivia kind of thing. Since I am behind on Timeline Tuesday, I haven't done an August version of that yet. And I may just have to combine August with September for next month. So uh, doing this trivia, I thought could be fun. Uh, just kind of a, a new thing that popped in my head. And I was like, oh, this. let me try this. So here you go. Six questions. See how you do. No cheating. These six questions also, they kind of follow the format of the trivia game that I created. So, uh, for instance, uh, well, the categories, right, of, of continuity, uh, geography, powers and paraphernalia, um, events, characters and creators, and then the last one being hypertime. I mean, they, they sort of fall in those categories as, as I read each one. So the first one, which could be kind of like a continuity thing. In the final issue of the four-issue Wolverine miniseries by Claremont, Miller, Rubenstein, Varley, and company, after a battle to the death with Shingen Harada, Wolverine writes to the X-Men to explain everything that has occurred. What else does he send along with the letter? The second one here being uh, kind of like a geography question. Supergirl stars in a new series entitled The Daring New Adventures of Supergirl by Paul Kupperberg, Carmine Infantino, Bob Oxner, and company. In the first issue that debuts in August of 1982, Linda Danvers arrives in a real-world city to establish a new base of operations. What city is this title set in? Number three, which is powers, paraphernalia, costumes, etc. As seen in her origin story in Amazing Spider-Man Annual number 16, this new character designed a superhero costume for herself by combining pieces of Mardi Gras outfits from a storage warehouse. Who is this new hero? We go to events. In the X-Men New Teen Titans one-shot of August of 1982, who were the three main villains? Characters and creators, who was the artist on the four-issue Vision and Scarlet Witch miniseries written by Bill Mantlo? And the final question here for Hypertime which is kind of like a potpourri, although this question could probably fit in another category. Uh, Arion, Lord of Atlantis, another Paul Kupperberg written title to debut in August of 1982, previously ran as a backup feature in what other DC title? All right, those are your six questions. Let's go back. And I will give you the answers. The first question, what did Wolverine send in a letter to the X-Men? An invitation to his upcoming wedding to Lady Mariko of Clan Yoshida. The second question, what was the setting for the daring new adventures of Supergirl? And that would be Chicago, Chicago, Illinois. 
the new character to debut in Amazing Spider-Man Annual 16, creating a costume out of Mardi Gras outfits, which is kind of the clue, because New Orleans is where she's from. That would be the new Captain Marvel, Monica Rambeau. In the X-Men New Teen Titans one-shot, the three main villains were Darkseid, Dark Phoenix, and Deathstroke. The artist on the Vision and Scarlet Witch 4-issue miniseries was Rick Leonardi, and Arion uh, started as a backup tale in Warlord, DC's Warlord. There you go, celebrating 40 years, August of 1982. How many of those six questions did you get? New Comics Wednesday. New Comics Wednesday for August 17th. I am not doing reviews for this particular segment uh, because I have a a long list of recommendations and also I'm just trying to catch up with my digests. So just the books that I am going to recommend for the week of August 17th, starting with Image Comics, 20th Century Men, 1 of 6, Dennis Camp S. Morian for $3.99. At the end of the 20th century, superheroes, geniuses, madmen, and activists rush towards war- World War III. A Soviet iron hero, a superpowered American president, an insane cyborg soldier, an Afghan woman hell bent on building a better life for her people. All of these strange yet familiar beings collide in a story that mixes history, politics, and comic book mythology into something totally new, where the edges of our reality and fiction touch, overlap, and then explode. This was something that, just the preview that is uh, that I've seen in a couple places, I was like, okay, yeah, I'll give that a try. So it's only six issues. We'll see how it goes. And maybe I'll review, review this in a future segment. Also from Image Comics, the Echo Lands hardcover by J.H. Williams, Hayden Blackman, Dave Stewart, Todd Klein. I read the first issue and talked about the first issue before. This is J.H. Uh, Williams' landscape format book. It is mythic fiction. It's an epic where anything is possible. Uh, a genre mashup of all, you know, everything from like horror movies, vampires, mobsters, fantasy, cyborgs, elves, uh, Roman demigods, etc., etc. I read that first issue and it was okay. The artwork, the artwork was beautiful. I mean, that's a given. But the story-wise, struck me as, um, uh, you know not as developed as maybe I thought it would be, so perhaps it'll read better in a collection. And here you go. You can read a hardcover for $34.99. And lastly from Image, Last Shadowhawk, number one, Philip Tan, Brian Harlan, uh, Federico Blee, and this this is just another one of those 30th anniversary celebrations that Image is doing with... Um, uh, I guess they did one for Cyberforce and Profit and 
um, I guess Wildcats maybe, and I don't know whoever, who all else, but The Last Shadowhawk number one, it's basically set in the not-too-distant future, and they say, who will be The Last Shadowhawk? $3.99. You know, all of these image celebrations are, are just pure nostalgia, pure entertainment, the variant covers for this particular one-shot are pretty fun, so I wanted to give it a shout-out. From Boom Studios, we have the realist original graphic novel, Last Day on Earth, by Asef Hanukkah. Third, This is the third collection of uh, one-page autobiographical weekly comics. So through scenes both real and imagined, the Israeli cartoonist examines the joys and pitfalls of parenting in a politically divisive world and the ongoing struggle to manifest art even as real-life humor and pathos keeps getting in the way. That's a sentiment I can get behind. <laughs> um, and this is $24.99. From Marvel, The Avengers 1 Million BC one-shot by Jason Aaron, Kev Walker, and McGinnis and Company with the secret origin of Thor revealed, $4.99. I like that concept. Uh, I think I think they were hinting or teasing that the origin might be wrapped up with Phoenix, so I don't know how that's going to go, but um, I fondly remember the annual from the early 80s from Thor that featured his origin, uh, and we'll, we'll see how this one compares. From Vault Comics, Heart Eyes number one, Dennis Hopeless, Victor, Ibn uh, Victor Ibanez, Sanity Eating Monsters Ended Humanity, the unlucky few who survived now hide in the cracks of a broken world, and yet somehow, beneath the graveyard that used to be San Antonio, Rico met Lupe, the girl of his dreams. But how did she get there, and why is she smiling? No one survives out in the street. No one smiles where the monsters lurk. $4.99. From Heavy Metal, Entropy 1 of 6, written by Christopher Priest, with art by Montos and covers by Bjorn Barons. This is an event series from Heavy Metal. And they say here it's Breaking Bad meets Green Lantern in the origin story of Heavy Metal's ultimate supervillain. Henry Hanks had a good life until he portrayed Keiko, K-A-K-O, the living embodiment of chaos and misery. With his whole world destroyed, Henry is killed and reborn as the newest herald of Keiko, with the power to destroy entire worlds in his master's name. All issues of Entropy will have a special Breaking Bad homage incentive cover by artist Antonio Fuso. And this is $4.99. It's Christopher Priest, and it's kind of an event, you know? So I was like, all right, those are two things that will get me to look at your book. So, uh, And then finally, from Tomorrow's Publishing, uh, we have Back Issue 137 and Life and Art of Dave Cockrum. So Back Issue 137 is all about 1980s pre-crisis DC miniseries which is amazing. Green Arrow, Secrets of the Legion, Krypton Chronicles, Legend of Wonder Woman. Uh, Legend of Wonder Woman. That actually is, well, the story is pre-crisis, but it came out, didn't it come out post-crisis? Hmm. Uh, Conqueror of the Barren Earth and more. So that's $10.95. 
And then the Life and Art of Dave Cockrum, which is available both in softcover and hardcover, is everything about the life and art of Dave Cockrum, you know? Uh, following his rise from fandom to prodom, that's an interesting terminology there, fandom and then prodom, uh, where he helped revive two struggling comic book franchises, the Legion of Superheroes and the X-Men, a prolific costume designer and character creator, his redesigns of the Legion, and his introduction of X-Men characters Storm, Nightcrawler, Colossus, and Thunderbird laid the foundation for both titles to become bestsellers. And then they also take a look at later properties like the Futurians, which I adored, um, Thunder Agents, his five years on Soul Searchers and Companies, uh, and Company, and more. And then you'll get to see some artwork from fanzines, unused character designs, uh, rare material, and it's all just one big biography of the legendary comic book artist. All right, there you go. Those are your recommendations for the week of August 17th. Ah, it's so good to be on a break from my hectic, hectic work schedule. To be free of, well, okay, I like to help my clients, but it's so nice to just get out of the office and stretch my legs and go for a walk around the city. What a beautiful day. Ah, it's lovely. Oh, excuse me, mate. Have you, have you got any uh, DC events? Have you got any, have you got any invasion? Uh, have you got any uh, um, Genesis? I'm, just... I'm very so sorry. I know I... Wait, Paul? Oh. Paul, is that you? Oh, oh, Dr. Herfin thing. Oh, hello. My gosh, Paul, what has happened to you? Why are you in this gutter here? Oh, I may have had a bit of a relapse and got back on the DC events a bit too hard. Ah, oh, multiple expletives in whatever European country I come from. Good Lord, ah, this means one thing. We have to get you back. Back in the office for more DC OCD. Oh, excellent. Yes, DC OCD is back, looking at every single DC event from where we dropped off last time. Uh, I don't know where that was, but we're continuing, moving on into the recent years of DC events. So uh, look for it on the Waiting for Doom feed, wherever you see good podcasts and ours. So this segment is for Thursday, August 18th. And once again, we have lost a comics creator. Uh, Mr. Tom Palmer has passed away. Inker uh, extraordinaire. Now, normally I try to find archived interviews so you can actually hear from the masters themselves. But I didn't have much luck this time around, oddly enough. And I don't like to pull from podcasts or uh, YouTube channels, things that are like established and ongoing. I'd much rather find documentaries or older interviews that were put onto YouTube from larger news sites or maybe from a, uh, a convention appearance. Um, but I, I just, I couldn't find anything. And it's kind of unfortunate, you know, there are so many videos on YouTube, especially of people just reading current comic books. So I, I guess so people don't actually have to buy them. Um, but, you know, they, they champion comics, but they don't actually dig into, like, making sure that there are interviews for these people who are of a different generation and 
you know, who we're going to lose. We're going to lose a lot of their information. Now, not to say that there aren't Tom Palmer interviews. There are some. Uh, and there's certainly a lot of printed stuff as well. But, And I can't say that I have much personal experience with the creator either in terms of what I remember or what books I might have read that has his name in the credit box. Um, I, I guess I'm just providing this segment for those people out there who don't follow a lot of comic book news, uh, who don't really, you know, go on social media or anything. I just wanted you to know that this, you know, that Tom Palmer has passed away. We get so much of our news through social media. I mean, is there, is there even a, co- a current comic book type magazine, you know, like Wizard of Old? where it comes out monthly and, and or even weekly. I don't know. So um, Tom Palmer was born in New York. Uh, there are conflicting reports of when he was born. So there's an interview from Tom Palmer, uh, or I should say like a bio, uh, from Foom Magazine back in like 1978. And he lists that he was born in 1942. And yet... Wikipedia and some other sites list that he was born in 1941, but uh, the the ones that are saying 1942, they're saying he also died at 81. Well, that can't be, you know, he had to be, if he was born in 42, he had to die at 19, uh, at 80. So it's all very confusing. Even the Marvel website has that he is born in 1942, but died at, at the age of 81. So again, doesn't make sense. Anyway. Uh, started working in comics uh, in 1968, uh, one of those older generation of artists that actually attended art school. Uh, some of the influences for Tom Palmer were Wally Wood, Al Williamson, Frank Frazetta, Jack Davis. That seems to be very common for that certain generation. Uh, he would go on to ink, but also did some comic covers and also did some pencils as well. Long runs, or or I should say, uh, some very uh, important runs with Neil Adams on X Men, John Buscema on a lengthy Avengers run, Gene Colan on Tomb of Dracula and Daredevil and elsewhere, uh, inking over John Byrne for X Men: The Hidden Years, a run on Star Wars, and also a run for covers and some pencils. Marvel Comics Presents, Mark Spector, Moon Knight, Hulk, Punisher, Nova, Captain America, etc., etc. Over at DC, did some inking over Dennis Cowan on Steel, Pat Olaf on Scooby Apocalypse, as well as the 2018 Hawkman series, and also worked with John Romita Jr. on Kick-Ass. The few that I recognized as I was going through the list, and I'm sure there are more, uh, Fallen Angels over Carrie Gamble for a few issues, and some Starbrand issues, again, with John Byrne. So, Tom Palmer, another, as I said, another uh, comics creator, longtime comics creator, very important in the field. Uh, there are some inkers that are from, like, a couple generations after Tom Palmer that always tend to bring up his name. So, just wanted to give him a, uh, give him his due here. Uh, on today's segment. Incredible. Action. Astonishing. Adventure. The coolest heroes. 
the hottest heroines. And the most outrageous in the universe. These ain't your daddy's comic books, fanboy. For sale Friday. Friday, Friday, Friday. Everything must go. <sighs> Alright, so as I mentioned last digest, I chose not to go back to teaching this fall because they decided without much faculty input to change the program that I was in uh, to lessen hours, to lessen sec sections for different instructors across the board uh, is basically a new program. And um, honestly, I'd be losing money if I was going to commute three days a week uh, for very for, for less classes, you know. So anyway, um, as I look for work, uh, one of the ways that I wanted to, you know, just try to raise some funds um, is to once again remind everyone that I am trying to cut down on my collection of comics and trades and other collections, 35 plus long boxes, eight or nine short boxes, you know, some shelves. Um, I want to get rid of paper and... This is the, uh, you know, one of the ways that you can, uh, if you if you choose to, if you care to, one of the ways that you could help support the podcast, um, because, you know, I am absolutely, there's no way that I could try to do podcasting full time, right? Like that. No, that's just out of the realm of possibility. But um, if you are someone who has been looking for a way to give back, this is a great way to do it. I get to shed some paper. Uh, the money gets put into, you know, whatever I need it for in the future. Um, I, I don't necessarily need to find work immediately, but definitely by the end of the year, I'm going to start to get nervous, you know. So um, the best way to, if you want to help out with this little mini fundraiser, um, is to send me your want list. You know, do you have holes in your collection? Do you have titles that you don't even have? And you're like, oh, I kind of want that. Do you have it? You know, you never know what I might have. I have way more DC than I do Marvel, but I do also have a bo couple boxes of indie stuff. Um, and everything is priced to move with secure media mail shipping in the US. I'm a little hesitant to ship internationally because the costs are outrageous i don't think it really makes for good savings but if you're someone who if you don't mind um you know i certainly will try to research as best i can but again internationally gets a little touchy um yeah i i i'm a real secure shipper as long as the ups the usp uh the um, post office does its part you will get your comics securely, mostly, usually always in a box. I don't like to send in envelopes uh, unless it's really secure. So yeah, everything is priced to move. We're talking dollar comics or less, cheap collections, full runs or limited series. I would, I would like to keep things that I have long runs of um, together. I don't want to create holes in my own collection because then it's harder to sell off. And some of this stuff may wind up on, uh, you know, some app somewhere. But I wanted to offer up to you, the listeners, first, first come, first serve. There is a um, stickied post on the website that hasn't been updated in a while, but it'll give you an idea. It'll give you an idea of just some of the things 
I'm looking to 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 get rid of things like the Day Tripper ten issue Vertigo series, the Cave Carson series from Young Animal in 2016, which ran for twelve issues, um, a couple Brian Lee O'Malley books like Seconds hardcover or the first Scott Pilgrim color edition hardcover. There's a Doctor Strange series by Jason Aaron from 2015 that I have 11 issues of, Walt Simonson's Judas Coin hardcover from DC, a whole stack of darkness trades that I would love to get rid of all, all in one. Um, if you listen to a recent Legion Project episode where we covered Bendis's Legion, I have that run that I am certainly willing to to offer up. Uh, Death of Hawkman, one of six from 2019, and a whole bunch of other stuff that I might have gotten from DCBS in the past couple years that I just haven't put on the website. But uh, let me know. Let me know. Again, great way to support the podcast. It'll help me out. Um, I have a few more ideas that I'll talk about later, um, but this could be a great way to start it off. So send me an email, peter at thedailyrios.com. Go visit the website, thedailyrios.com, if you want to check out uh, other items that that uh, uh, I'm certainly willing to offer up. Remember, it's a small list, but send me your want list. I think that's the best way to do it. Um, go visit the Daily Rios Instagram. Peter J. Rios is my Twitter, and I should be now posted, If you by the time you hear this, or maybe shortly thereafter, um, I think I'm up on Spotify now, or I will be soon. Uh, I checked Stitcher. I'm on there. Google Play. I'm pretty sure I'm on there. And uh, there's a few more places I should really drop the podcast. This has been the Daily Rios episode 576 for Sunday, August 21st, 2022. Talk to you soon. But I cannot take you anywhere else without permission from upstairs. Would you like to see one more magic trick? Okay. Get in the car. Good idea. 